What we have is a list of some of the most pious and sometimes slightly abstract vocabulary in the Christian dictionary. There is truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and finally spirit. Most of us have sat in a room with other Christians and heard people toss this jargon around, maybe in a way that made them seem either absurdly pious or, or, or somehow pretentious and, and, and might have even made us feel either small or, or just out of it. As we uh, prepare shortly to gather around the font for Olivia's baptism, look, we put her right to sleep. That's a good thing, huh? Um, I was thinking that uh, when I was baptized at Lake Nokomis Lutheran Church in 1962, December of 62, that uh, I became part of the church. This uh, somewhat bewildering uh, church that stretches both back and forward in time uh, across every nation and people. And between the saints in heaven and the faithful who are yet in our pilgrimage here on earth. I grew up going to church. I suppose the first several years were there at Lake Nokomis Lutheran. I don't have any memory of that. Uh, later, uh, I think when I was three or four, we moved to Bloomington. And from there forward, I grew up attending Atonement Lutheran Church in Bloomington, where my parents still attend to this day. And... So my memories of a kid were of the, the six of us, uh, our family uh, sitting together in, in a pew. We sat kind of in the middle on the left side at Atonement. There's just one aisle up the middle. We sat on the left side kind of back, a uh, little bit past the middle, I suppose. That's my memory anyway. Uh, I remember being bored most of the time, to be very honest with you, just... I used to scratch off the uh, each item on the on the bulletin, you know, the opening hymn, the this, the that, you know, the prayers, and then you always knew when the sermon got scratched off, you were kind of home free. So <laughs> that's that's uh, mostly what I remember. But as I got in my teen years, uh, I did get get involved uh, with the with the youth group, and and we had some great adventures together and we go up in the boundary waters and there were real moments in my young budding faith of real inspiration usually out there in the woods around a campfire i've spoken of this uh, so really even after nearly 30 years of ordained ministry it was from the beginning and in many ways continues to be such an unlikely part of my own reality when I think of my sort of history with the church and my upbringing that I am in fact a pastor. Um, in seminary I found a group of peers uh, who kind of shared this sense of unlikely call to the church and we had really common elements in our story among those I've, I've shared here. Lutherans tend to be pretty good at self criticism we're quick to jump on the small mindedness and naked ambition to, to you know misuse of power weakness of will that's part of church history uh 
ancient and, and unfortunately uh, modern. But we're also aware that there are untold hosts of sacrificial examples of discipleship and mission and ministry and holiness. There are countless works of deep theological wisdom and insight. There are myriads of testimonies of hope and guides for prayerful living. There are dizzying varieties of worship and witness and music and dance and drama, let alone polity and politics and potluck dinners. And all of it, in one way or another, wrapped up and somehow contained in this word, church. And when we like it and feel inspired and moved and trans transformed by it we call it the beauty of holiness and when we don't like it we see only it's clumsy and cruel and self-serving humanity we call it hypocrisy or pomposity or self-righteousness in other words what my seminary friends and i were all in our different ways saying to each other is that i have found that this daunting and sometimes alienating heritage and tradition and culture of the church isn't just some heap of irrelevance or an oppressive burden. What we were saying to each other is we've somehow been drawn into it and it's become our own. And we realize that it belonged to us as much as it's ever belonged to anybody and that it is, in fact, a gift a gift for us to enjoy and benefit from and dig deeply into and give ourselves to. And I've sensed that to be a Christian that can live with and enjoy and even love the church, it's vital, really indispensable, to have found a way to make it your own. Make friends with its saints. To make its books your library. Make its sacraments, your staging posts, and make its rhythms part of your own daily song. It's been at the heart of my own ministry to try to help people in to enter into that reality, to try to show them that it's, in fact, for them as well. And I think this is what this final chapter of Ephesians, after we've spent these past weeks walking through this gorgeous book in the New Testament, I think that's what this final chapter, this letter Uh, to the Ephesians is doing. What what, what we have is a list of some of the most pious and sometimes slightly abstract vocabulary in the Christian dictionary. There is truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and finally spirit. Most of us have sat in a room with other Christians and heard people toss this jargon around, maybe in a way that made them seem either absurdly pious or, or, or somehow pretentious and, and, and might have even made us feel either small or, or just out of it. So I think Ephesians, having spent five chapters explaining in theological language what these important terms mean in the life of Israel and Jesus and the church and for us, It concludes by whispering to us, hey, if if you want a clue, then this is how you can make these cherished 
but sometimes grand theological concepts your own. There's an Anglican priest and theologian and sometimes professor, Dr. Sam Wells, and he's written of what we refer to as the armor of God in Ephesians in a way that I just really deeply appreciate. He writes that truth, think of truth like a belt, Ephesians tells us. It should be all the way around you where your top half of idealism meets your bottom half of reality. Righteousness, think of righteousness like a breastplate. It's right out front for everyone to see. You may want them to admire your biceps or your shapeliness or your coat hanger shoulders, but what they're really looking at is whether your life is as truthful as your words. Peace, think of peace like your shoes. It's really the most important garment of all. And it's useless making it out of something soft. It needs to be sturdy and hard-wearing, but flexible and comfortable. When you imagine peace, it's got to be like shoes that will walk a very long way. And faith. Think of faith like a shield. A shield doesn't stop bad things from happening around you. It doesn't prevent even you from being attacked, it doesn't usually change the external reality that much. But a shield keeps your heart pumping and your life going and your spirits thumping even when the slings and arrows of favor and fortune would otherwise destroy you. And salvation, think of salvation like a helmet. Salvation is forgiveness and healing and eternal life all wrapped up into one. And it's too much to keep in your head. So you have a helmet to keep these most precious fruits of faith safe. A helmet is like a shield. They are not intended as weapons against others. They are gifts gifts from God to let us know that we're safe with God forever. And finally, the Spirit. We can think of the Spirit like a sword. What we've had here is a description of the outfit of a Roman soldier because the Roman soldier was the literal and metaphorical description of power in the life of the early Christians. But only this last item, the sword, actually does something. The others are all forms of clothing and protection. And that's because the first five are really about us. Whereas only this last one, the spirit, is describing a dimension of God. Think of the spirit like a sword, sharp, terrifying, and dynamic, and exciting, and a way of focusing power in one particular place. What we've been given here is an invitation to make the language of beliefs and actions and hopes of the Christian faith our own. Just as if we were putting on a set of clothes and giving them our own crease marks and wrinkles and tears and patches. Inhabit the faith, Ephesians tells us. Put it on. Wear it around. Put these beliefs to work. Make them yours. Try them out. They're given to you so that you can discover what it really means 
to be a part of the church in this world. And what it really means to be a part of the church is to be a part of a people using and enjoying these gifts and allowing themselves in the process to be transformed into a reflection. Never perfect, always dimly, but into a reflection of the very body of our crucified and risen Lord. You know how in those old Tom and Jerry cartoons, Jerry, the the little mouse, would, would sometimes have this giant feather pillow and he would pound it and pound it and then he would just kind of settle into it and sleep. The book of Ephesians invites us to pound the pillow of truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation until we find out what these words mean in body, mind, and spirit and make the life of the church our own. So much so that if the church is rotten, there'll be no one to blame but us. And then let the sword of the Spirit make us its own and receive the heritage and destiny of the church that is always more than any of us could have ever imagined or cause or desire or deserve. This same Spirit does send us out as God's children to find our neighbor in need, and even to love our enemies and to invite them to church or as we have been reminded in this precious letter to the Ephesians for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God Amen Let your king, Let your king.